What is going on, everybody? My name is John Solo, and this is the Messed Up Origins Podcast, the show where I take famous stories that are embedded in the hearts and minds of our society and figure out where the hell they came from. This week, we're breaking down one of the most iconic tall tales in American history, the Ballad of John Henry, the steel-driving man who laid down his life to prove he could outwork a steam engine. As heartbreaking as that ballad is, though, the life of the real John Henry is speculated to have been much worse. It's a tale of injustice, oppression, abuse, and illness, and by the time we reach the end, it'll change the way you think of John Henry's ballad and the history of criminal justice in America. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast, where we're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Don't forget to sacrifice the five-star button to the algorithm gods if you enjoy it, and brace yourself for the Messed Up Origins of John Henry. Chapter 1, The Ballad of John Henry. Now, as well known as John Henry is, I'm sure there's some folks who haven't heard of him before. So let's start with a rundown of his story. John Henry's legend began circulating in the 1870s in the form of a ballad that hammermen on the railroad sang to keep a steady pace as they worked. For years and years, his story was passed around between laborers of all kinds, dock workers, coal miners, lumberjacks, etc., who each put their own unique spin on it, but never bothered to write it down. Because of that, and because the ballad was long and mostly improvised, folklorists have found hundreds of versions around the country since they started started collecting them in 1909. And while there's some great variety among those hundreds of ballads, they all tell the same tale. John Henry was a great, big, powerful, steel-driving man who lost his life attaining victory against a steam-powered drill that was supposed to replace him and his fellow workers. There's also four key components one usually finds in each ballad. A premonition by John Henry as a child that steel-driving would lead to his death, the lead-up and results of his legendary race against the steam hammer, Henry's death and burial, and the reaction of his wife. Wanting to stay true to form, each of these components was actually included in the animated short Disney produced about the ballad back in 2000, as well as some added backstory to John Henry's character. In their version, Henry's a newly freed slave whose wife melts down his former chains to make the hammer he uses in his work on the railroad. Just to clarify, I realize that most people today think of John Henry with that backstory, whether they've seen the Disney short or not, but back when the ballad first emerged, those details were not a given, which is why the folklorists didn't include them in their list of key components. That isn't to say it's not true, though. In fact, the reality could be even even worse than the story we're familiar with. John Henry was more than just a victim of slavery. He suffered the brunt of racial injustice throughout the majority of his short life, which he spent almost entirely in chains. And the spirit of that and the sections that follow were not only going to shed some light on who John Henry may have really been, but also the horrible conditions he had to endure on the railroad and how he really lost his life to a steam-powered drill, but not in the way everyone thinks. Chapter 2. Who was John Henry really? So to track down the identity of John Henry, the first thing one has to know is where to look. And while the ballad never explicitly says where it takes place, many experts agree that West Virginia is the most likely location. And there's a few reasons why. For one, back in the 1870s, when the ballad began circulating, the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway was building a massive new track in West Virginia that went through the Appalachian Mountains to the Ohio River. And two, it was on this very track that some of the very first steam drills in America were used. Now, depending on what version of the song you hear, John Henry was usually one of three things. A free man who was indentured to the railroad company, a newly freed former slave, or a prison inmate being forced to work as he serves his time. Well, according to some old records at the Virginia State Penitentiary, there just so happened to be an inmate named John Henry who was leased to the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway for the construction of the very same mountain track I just mentioned. 
Some of the most notable details are that he was born in New Jersey, only 19 years old, and he stood at a whopping five foot one and one fourth inches tall. You heard that right, your man was a short king. If you're like me, you're probably surprised to hear that because the ballad always portrays him as this giant hulk of a man. But in the book, Nelson points out that five foot one would be the perfect height for tunnel work. And while I'm definitely no expert, that sounds like it makes sense. Before being arrested and forced to drive steel, it's believed that John Henry worked in a camp for the Union military and was down in Virginia on assignment. At five foot one, he would have been too short to be a soldier, but he may have worked as a cook or laborer in some other capacity. Now, you may have also noticed that John's record said he was serving 10 years for housebreak and larceny, meaning he broke into someone's house and stole something they owned. And if you're thinking that 10 years sounds like an awfully long time to sentence a 19-year-old to prison for a non-violent crime, you would be right. But a fact that might not surprise you is that immediately after the Civil War, the court system in the Southern United States was about as corrupt and racist as you could get. You see, in 1865, the same year the Civil War ended, Virginia instituted what came to be called Black Codes, and those were a set of laws made for the sole purpose of incarcerating as many of the newly freed African Americans as possible. They prohibited vagrancy, which was defined as the flooding of black men and women into public spaces. It was illegal for black men and women to be without employers. African Americans weren't allowed to testify against whites. And it was now illegal for blacks to have an air of satisfaction, meaning they couldn't show delight about the end of the Civil War. Because how dare they be satisfied that their people were no longer slaves? Shame on them really. And on top of all this, punishments for property crimes increased dramatically. For example, stealing goods valued at more than $20 was now punishable with five to 10 years in prison instead of one to five. Obviously, $20 was considered significantly more back then, but still, five to 10 years? too much. And what makes it even worse is that even though it's what he was punished for, John Henry never broke into someone's house in the dead of night and stole over $20 worth of goods. Actually, all he did was shoplift from a general store called Wiseman's Grocery. Obviously, I'm not condoning shoplifting, but it's a misdemeanor as where housebreak and larceny are felonies. Now, there is a litany of reasons why his charges were escalated to the degree that they were, and if you want to hear them broken down in detail, I'd recommend you checking out our episode, The Messed Up True Story of John Henry's Arrest on YouTube. For now, I'll just give you my oversimplified version. A few shitty people in power did a few shitty things with that power. That includes the judge who saw that John Henry's charges were far too severe for his crime, so he gave the plaintiff more time to collect evidence to use against him. And a guy named Charles Burr, the assistant commissioner of the Freedmen's Bureau, who, instead of giving aid to the newly freed slaves like he was supposed to, sought to put as many behind bars as possible. Not so fun fact, Charles Bird also had severe brain damage from being shot in the head with a musket ball by one of his own men during the Civil War. The ball embedded itself four inches deep into Bird's skull, damaging his frontal lobe and giving him lead poisoning. So he's definitely not the guy you want in charge of literally anything, but somehow he oversaw an entire county's judicial system. So while John Henry did commit a crime, that wasn't what he was tried and punished for. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, not because he stole something, but because of the way he was born. And sadly, the injustice doesn't stop there. Next, we're breaking down how John Henry came to work for the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway and how it resulted in his death. Chapter three, John's been working on the railroad. So in November of 1866, after the 19-year-old John Henry received his sentence, 
he was sent to the Virginia State Penitentiary, which at the time was undergoing some major renovations at the hands of the new warden, Burdum Wardwell. And while some of Wardwell's decisions are questionable, he's one of the few people in this story I can confidently say had good intentions. He was a former ice merchant who had been held in a Confederate prison for two years because he supported the Union. And after his first visit to the Virginia Penitentiary, which he was to oversee, he was horrified at its condition. The living spaces were filthy, the food tasted like ass, the cells were overcrowded, and to top it all off, the prison was seriously in debt. His solution for these problems was to lease his inmates year-round to railroad contractors in the Virginia mountains. That way he could raise some money and he would have more space in the prison to make improvements. To his credit, he made sure the conditions on the railroad were adequate too. He visited one himself and found that inmates' living quarters were cleaner than the prisons and the food was better, so he thought he was doing something right. What he didn't expect was for efficiency and deadlines to eventually become top priorities and for the inmates to be forced to work in incredibly deadly conditions as a result. Within the first three months of the program, 225 convicts were leased to the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway, and a few years later, on December 1st, 1868, at the age of 21, John Henry was sent to work. He was what's called a hammer man or a steel driving man. His job was to turn big rocks into little rocks and to hand drill the holes they'd place dynamite into. So now the question is, which of the CNO tunnels was John Henry working on when he faced off against the steam drill? And there's two options that experts suggest most often, Big Ben Tunnel and Lewis Tunnel. However, Scott Reynolds Nelson gives us enough evidence to rule out one of those. According to some engineering reports he dug up, the contractor in charge of the Big Ben Tunnel didn't use steam drills because he didn't trust them, and the rock in that part of the mountain wasn't hard enough to deem it necessary. Since the inclusion of the steam drill is vital for John Henry's story, we can almost guarantee that he didn't work on the Big Ben Tunnel, making his statue in front of the tunnel that much more awkward. However, we know that for the Lewis Tunnel, drills were sought out immediately over concerns about the efficiency of the inmates and their ability to penetrate the exceptionally hard rock in Lewis Mountain. So this is where the steam drill part of the legend comes in, and where you can start connecting dots between what's fact and what's folklore. Even though they were advertised as being cheaper and more efficient than manual labor, steam drills had a lot of problems as a result of the insane amount of dust they generated clogging up the inner workings of the machine. As a result, they would often break down and the railway would have to send in a crew to work alongside the machine or even two crews to make up for the deficit. After months of dealing with malfunctions on a regular basis and deadlines approaching fast, it got to a point where the men in charge just had to face the fact that the drills weren't doing them any favors, and the rest of Lewis Tunnel was built with hammer men like John Henry. So when the ballot says Henry proved he could outwork the dreaded steam drill, it really means it. Only in reality, there wasn't a single contest to determine that, rather the evidence slapped them across the face repeatedly for months. It also wasn't just John Henry who proved it, it was all of the inmates who worked on the railroad. But John, the ballot also says that Henry died while defeating the steam drill. Is there any truth to that? Good question. There is, but what actually happened is even sadder. So you're gonna wanna brace yourself for what's next. Chapter 4, John Henry's Death the reason we're confident that John Henry died on the railroad and not in prison is because his name isn't mentioned on any surgeon reports and he just disappears from prison records without any mention of parole, escape, or release. We also know that line of work was incredibly dangerous. Just between September 1871 and September of the next year, 380 African-American convicts released to the railroad and 150 of them died from an injury or illness they obtained while working. It's also possible that Henry died from a tunnel collapse or explosion, but judging from the autopsy, 
autopsies of the fellow workers, an even more likely cause may have been lung disease. The belief is that the drills and dynamite that were used to build the Lewis Tunnel generated clouds of dust that were filled with freshly ground silica that the convicts were forced to breathe in. For those who don't know, even a single day's exposure to freshly ground silica can cause acute silicosis and early death, so breathing it in all day every day for an entire year would no doubt do some damage. Like I said earlier, there were many times that inmates were forced to work right next to these drills as they were spitting out dust without any protective gear. And even after the drills were done being used because they just didn't work right, the inmates continued to breathe in those tiny microscopic fragments that were floating around in the tunnels for the next two years until the job was completed. So yeah, like the story says, John Henry did die working alongside a steam drill, but it wasn't immediate. He didn't die of exhaustion or heart failure, but instead a lung disease that slowly strangled him from the inside for a period of six months to two years. As for what happened to his body, the ballad is pretty spot on with this one too, at least if you read the right one. There's some versions that claim he was buried under the railroad tracks, but others say he was buried by the White House. This was not a reference to the president's home, but rather a mass grave that was discovered by the only white building at the Virginia State Penitentiary, the workshop. Forensic anthropologists at the Smithsonian Institution studied the 300 bodies from that grave and found that approximately 80% of them were black men in their early 20s, the exact demographic of the inmates most commonly sold to the railroad. So it's not a guarantee, but what most likely happened is that John Henry's lung disease got the best of him and he died on the construction site, then his body was shipped back to the prison and he was buried in the mass grave. For whatever reason, the guy still hammering away in the tunnel incorporated his name into their hammer songs, his story caught on, and just a few decades later, Later, country and blues artists were recording their own renditions in the studio, immortalizing John Henry forever. Now, when it comes to what we're supposed to take away from this story, I think Scott Reynolds Nelson put it best. What started as a haunting burial song became a song about many things. John Henry was appropriated to tell the story about the position of black men during Jim Crow, about the joys and pains of the life of track liners, about the dangers of mining, about blind men robbed of their power to see, about the coming of the machine age, about nostalgia for the past, about the terrors of textile mills, about capitalism and about the black power movement. It has become a story of courage and conflict with power, but it started as a tool used to dig tunnels and line track to set a pace that protected railway workers' lives. And that, my friends, was John Henry's messed up origin story. Normally, I would say I hope you found it entertaining, enlightening, and a little bit horrifying, but given the nature of this episode, I just hope it didn't bum you out too hard. If you want to learn more about John Henry, you can either check out the book I used for the bulk of my research, Steel Driving Man by Scott Reynolds Nelson, or watch my YouTube episode about the messed up true story of John Henry's arrest. Links to both are in the description. I'll see you all again this Friday with an all new episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, where I discuss the warlords who inspired the antagonist of Disney's Mulan, Sean Yu. Until then, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first. <laughs>